0: This morning, I am very, very excited what God is going to do. We are landing our series, our brief vision series called uh, that was 10-10, based out of a scripture called John chapter 10, verse 10. The scripture will be behind me briefly, just to remind you one last time what the scripture says. The scripture says that the enemy, the thief, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And we've labored every week at the onset just to remind us that in this journey of faith as Christians, we have an enemy named Satan. The accuser of the brethren who does not stop accusing us night and day, whose, whose mother tongue is lies, and he wants to not just make your life uncomfortable or just trip you up, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy you. Not to only put fear in you, but there is an enemy who's out to get you. Praise God that the scripture doesn't end there, though. But... But, if you have a Bible, go and underline that circle, it, highlight it. do whatever you need to do. Just remind yourself and say, but, the most attractive but you've ever seen. I apologize for that terrible joke in church. Let's move on. Scrap that already. But, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's Jesus speaking. I came that they may have life to the full. So you have the enemy and we don't want to be... Uh, uh, unaware of his schemes. We have an enemy, but we want to give much more attention to the God who's calling us to abundant life and give our hearts to that agenda. And that's what we're wanting to do. And we're so excited. If you haven't been here, the first week, the series has been so simple. The first week we were commissioned to say, don't stop. From Hebrews 12, 12, strip down, start running, never quit. Second week, last week, we, we echoed from this pulpit, don't strain. In our attempts for abundant life, it's not in our beating of our flesh and trying harder. It's actually allowing the blood of Jesus to call us onwards and upwards. And let us speak a better word over every situation in your life. This morning, I want to land with a third one and urge us not to settle. Don't settle. You see what I believe is the enemy sometimes, one of his greatest tactics is if he can't totally disqualify you or run you off the road or cause you to fall into some uh, just hideous sin that just totally derails you. I believe his, one of his greatest tactics to most believers is just to get them to settle. Just to get them to settle. Maybe it's because of disappointments, maybe it's because of delays. Maybe it's because of detours your life took that you didn't actually think were going to happen, but actually you end up on different areas of your life. You still believe in Jesus. You still believe in eternal life, but you've actually settled on this pursuit and call to abundant life here and now. And I want to help us move forward through this. So let's pray briefly, and then we'll get stuck in. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that you're already speaking as we prophesied and sang, maybe with a little bit of faith, or maybe with a whole bunch of faith, but we declared, come alive, dry bones. I again speak to the dry bones, the things that have laid dormant in our life, the things that have settled, the things that have been parked, the dreams that have been buried. I thank you today. Come alive, dry bones. Not by might, not by power, but by your spirit, O Lord. Would you move? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This morning, very quickly, it says a simple preach. But I think it's going to be really powerful. If you've got a notebook, you might need to take it out. If you've got a, a phone, you might need to take it out because I really believe God is wanting to deposit truth in our hearts that's going to really, really shape us. If you're not taking out your phone or a notebook, you've got a great memory that's wonderful as well. Good. Just a suggestion. But I believe this morning, simple, simply under this understanding of don't settle, there are three lids, three lids that I believe that will either promote us or placate, placate us depending on how we deal with them. Three lids that either will promote us to the abundant life that God has got or placate us and keep us settling for the status quo, for the average, and actually pulling us into the ground, the neutral ground. I want to help us lift those lids this morning. Number one is the lid of expectation. So the scripture. We're not going to read the scripture. That's why I'm telling you to take it down for time's sake. But the first one, the lid of expectation. The scripture is 2 Kings chapter 5, 2 Kings chapter 5. Write it down if you can because you need to go read this story, a bizarre story. But for time's sake, the story centers around a man named Nahum, Naaman, N-A-A-M-A-N. N-A-A-A-A-N. And he's a general in an army. And this what is so uh, outstanding about this man or what catches the eyes of most people about this man, he's a general, but he's got a thing called leprosy a skin disease, a disease that was so rife in those days and that people were so nervous of, it was contagious, you don't want to be around that person, and he got a a, a skin disease called leprosy that was actually stunting his life and stunting his forward momentum. The king who was over this army suggested him, saying, said, I've heard of a prophet in Israel, I've heard of a prophet named Elisha, and actually if you go see him, I believe that he could pray for you and heal you. So Naaman on the back of that goes, that sounds wonderful, I'll take healing. So he gets all his, the chariots and the men go before him, and he arrives to meet Elisha. But for time's sake, the story goes, this great prophet Elisha, who he's put his hope in, doesn't even come out to see him. Elisha was obviously doing something far better, but Elisha, maybe in his wisdom, sends out a servant and says, sends a servant to Naaman. And Naaman, this great general, has come to see the prophet, doesn't even get to see the prophet of God. And the servant comes and says, the prophet is not coming out to see you, but he's told me a message for you. And you can imagine, Naaman's already bubbling with anger and ire. He's not happy with this. I'm like, I've come all the way, I want to see the prophet. But the servant says, no, the prophet says that there's healing for you. All you need to go do is go to the Jordan River and dip yourself, immerse yourself seven times, and then you'll be healed and Naaman is furious. He's like, how, who does this guy think I am? How, how small is this? What, what superficial thing is this? Do we not have greater rivers where I have come from? Could he have not done that? Why could the prophet not have come out and waved his hand over me or done a prayer or done something dramatic? Because that's what I need. I need God's dramatic intervention. He's telling me something silly and small and disappointing. And another guy comes over to him and says, Naaman, don't be silly. If he had come and told you to do something really amazing and told you to do something really impressive, wouldn't you have done that? You would have done anything then. Why don't you just give this a try? And the amazing story goes on and we see this amazing man go down to the River Jordan and he starts to put into practice what the prophet has told him to do. Starts to put his body, this leprous body, into the water once, twice, three times, keeps going, but I see this whole journey start happening, and the amazing thing is as he goes once into the water, as he goes twice into the water, he comes out, hey guys, anything, they're like, no boss, nothing, three times in, now, no, four times, five times, six times, no change, can you imagine how disappointing and how stupid he must be feeling? He's got—he's a big sergeant in an army, and they all looking at him. they all starting to—maybe he's hearing giggling, and people are going, "What is he doing? Is he lost it? He's lost it," and he's getting oh, so so like he's people—he gets so introspective and trying to say, "Maybe, hey, look away, guys. Say, hey, please, don't look at me." And he's starting to get nervous, and I, as I read this text, I start to start thinking about him. Imagine if he had stopped at six. This is stupid. I'm done. I'm out of here. But the scriptures say he doesn't stop at six. He went down the seventh time. And on the seventh time, as he came up, just like the, the, the Lord spoke to him through the prophet, as the seventh time came, he came out of the water, it says that his body was made new. The leprosy was gone, and his skin was as smooth as a baby's. Bam. I always just, as I read that story, I go, imagine if he like most of us, went, this is just too much. This is irritating. His expectation was different. He thought something great was going to be happening. He asked to do something small and seemingly insignificant and silly. If I'm Naaman after six, I'm going, actually, bring me my robe. I'm done. But Naaman didn't stop at six. He went to seven. He went under, and he got healed. This is a real simple thing, but this morning I want to tell you, we sing a song here called Waymaker, but the bridge of it goes, even when I don't see you, you're working. And I want to tell you the truth, that God is working even when you don't see it. God is working even when you think what, what you think God should be doing, how God should be responding to your situation, how God should be responding to your sickness, how you think God should be responding to your financial pressures, how you think God should be responding to your marriage, marital problems, how you think God should be doing it. Can I tell you, actually, sometimes we've got a little bit of expectation, we think God should be doing it this way, but God says, I'm doing something different, trust me. Here's the amazing thing, a simple, simple understanding and implication this, this morning is, I, can I ask us to be people who keep immersing ourselves like Naaman, keep dunking ourselves in the practices God has called us to? Can I say this? Can we be a people who keep immersing ourselves, keep reading the Word, even when it doesn't seem like anything's happening? We'll we be people who keep praying, keep serving. Even when everything inside of us says, I don't want this what I've been doing this for a number of years, and you promise that actually serving will be good for me, but it seems everything else has gone bad. Worse. Keep serving, keep serving, sir, ma'am. Keep giving, keep inviting, keep loving, keep reaching out, keep lifting your hands. Keep lifting your hands. I don't know about you, but there's sometimes I've sung the songs and I'm in the situation. I'm going, this song does not match my situation, but I just feel I have to keep lifting my hands. I'm going to keep lifting my hands two times. I'm going to keep lifting my hands three times. I'm going to keep lifting my hands four times. I'm going to keep going because he's spoken. I'm going to trust his word, not my, my emotions, not my expectations. Can we be a people who keep sharing our faith? Because I want to say, imagine if Naaman had stopped at six. He would have left with the leprosy. But Naaman didn't. He kept going to seven. Can you turn to somebody around you and tell them, don't stop at six? Find them. Find them. Tell them, don't stop at six. The lid of expectation needs to be lifted. Second lid this morning. The lid of opposition. Now, this one, different scripture, write it down. Joshua chapter 6. Now, it's just something amazing for me. Joshua is the sixth book in the Bible, and we read from the sixth chapter. It's interesting. Just keep that in mind. (laughs) Deep. But this amazing man, Joshua, if you don't know his backstory, he's been part of the guys, the, the crew that for 40 years have been wandering. The desert, and being told there's a promised land, but a whole generation have settled for the desert. And we're told that not one of that generation gets to see the promised land, but only two of them, only two people, Caleb and Joshua, get to go into the promised land. So Joshua, the whole generation of unbelief who've died in the wilderness, who've settled, Joshua goes through, and the God says, "And so be strong and courageous, I'm going to give you a promise. Everywhere you place your foot, I'm going to give you that land. Joshua's all of a sudden, it's like a new day, and there's hope, and he's got the leadership of the nation, and now he's faith in his heart, and he says, you know, I'm done with all this wandering and walking, this aimless walking about, and he walks in, and he's about, and he says, I'm so excited on the back of that promise, the first thing Joshua walks into is a city called Jericho. He's like, no, but God, you've told me that I'm done with all this, this, these boring fights and walking around, not making progress, and I want to make progress, but it seems like we've come against opposition. A nation in Jericho, a fortified city that was so strong that his whole agenda was to oppose the people of God. Opposition was right in his face. An amazing thing, this, this incredible story as we read it, the, the, this, this, this amazing moment comes where there's opposition there, and God, he says, God, how are we going to take this opposition down? Tell us, are we going to go through the front door? Are we going to ascend the walls? Are, we, are you going to just strike them like you did in Egypt? Remember what you did to the Egyptians? Do that here. And God says, no, no, no i want you to have a little more exercise i need you to walk around this place seven times for seven days and josh like for 40 years we've been walking now he want us to walk some more are you mad that's what i would think i'm like come on god this is ridiculous and the the story is this amazing thing god said actually every day i want you to go with the the whole nation and the people you're going to walk around in silence around for one day and then you rest for that night say nothing Imagine, this is a brilliant strategy. This is your, you, you get there and you're like, Joshua, tell us how we're going to take these people. They're all like chomping at the bit. We're going to walk in silence. <laughs> cool. One day, we're in. No, we're doing the same thing tomorrow. Wow. And can you imagine as they walk, second day, the people in the, in the, in the tower watching from Jericho going, what are these guys doing? Not, are, they, are they nuts? Who, are they, who, how, who do they think they are? Third day. Fourth day, fifth day. And I I want to just tell you before we get going that story, I want to say when you start taking ground for the kingdom of God, let me just tell you this clearly and plainly. When you start stepping out in faith, when you said on the first day I'm going to fast for 21 days, when you said I'm actually going to come forward for prayer, when you actually say I'm going to be honest and vulnerable with my sin and confess it to somebody, when you say I'm going to start giving faithfully and consistently to church, can I tell you, you've put a big target on your back for the enemy to go, I'm going to come after you. Why? Because the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He doesn't want you to take ground. He doesn't want you to walk into abundant life. So when you start moving forward, the enemy's coming for you. But take heart. He has overcome the world. And I believe the intensity of the opposition in your life is often proof of the power of God's promise in your life. Let me say it again. It was so good. I need to say it again. i got 1 a.m. Amen. So let me try and get three or four at least. The intensity of the opposition in your life is often proof of the power of God's promise in your life. I, I really believe that we are on the brink of something big here at Life Change Milnerton. I'm not using hyperbole. Uh, if you, I just felt over the last three weeks a shift in my heart, if I'm honest. And as, even as life changes, I, I just feel that there's faith to actually God is going to fill this room fill this room and we're going to have to put out seats and we're going to have to have problems of where we're going to put the coffee because people are going to come and find Jesus in this room I believe it through us we're going to see great things and we're on the brink of something big and we start asking big prayers but I realize that as you start doing that the enemy wants to come against you and get you to settle settle we planted a church in the city and with faith so excited that it was the night before we plant I get inbox messages from, from someone from my past who starts telling me, who the hell are you to be planting a church? I'm just quoting. And starts saying, I know the real you and starting to put all these things. I praise the Lord that I actually only, I, I don't check my inbox often. I only saw on Tuesday. <laughs> praise the Lord. <laughs> but on Tuesday when I saw it, the heaviness came over and I started wrestling and I started justifying and, and I realized, I go, actually, I can get angry with that person. Or I can go, oh, I can just see the enemy's hand. The enemy was going, No, you're taking ground. I'm going to suffocate that before you step out. And actually, in the last few weeks, there's been most consistent attack from people against life change in terms of vociferous nature, sending emails around the country trying to tell that make up lies about our church. Now, when we started planting church, now when faith is rising, now while we're fasting, are we surprised that the enemy would come now? Can I tell you, sir, ma'am? Sometimes we see that the enemy come and we're like, Oh, flip, where are you, God? God's saying, I'm here and I'm on the move. But look at me, I'm leading to abundant life. Take hold of me, respond in this moment. And that's the thing, this, this, the enemy was there against them. They walk around for six days, not just six times dipping now, six days with the whole nation following him. Can you imagine on day six, Joshua going, okay, God, six times, hey, this is hectic. because I, I think if, if nothing happens soon, they're going to commit me. But thank goodness Joshua didn't stop on six. after six, saying, guys... Okay, guys, we gave it a go. I thought I heard God. Maybe I was wrong. Let's go pray again and see what else God says. But Joshua followed what God had said and walked around the seventh time. A seventh time. On the seventh time, they blew the trumpets. You might know the story. But as they blew the trumpets, not one sword was raised, not one one, uh, hammer was raised in the wall, but the wall started to come down. Here's something amazing as I read it. As they walked around each day, how wonderful it would have been after day one, they looked up and the first layer of the wall was down. I would love incremental victory. So i go, we're making progress. There was no incremental victory. It came down altogether. So often, I think we're walking and we're walking. But I, I can imagine, as Joshua walked every day, what was sustaining him? I don't think it was the voices of people behind him or even around him. I believe it was the promise of God saying, everywhere you put your foot, I'll give you that ground. So I believe the promise of God held him, and as nothing happened, he walked, and he walked, and he walked, and he walked, and he walked, going, everywhere I put my foot, everywhere I put my foot, you promised me, you promised me, God, looks up, nothing's happening, okay, go back to the promise, I'm going to keep going back to the promise, and he kept walking, Say everywhere I put my foot, God, you're going to tell, and he did that seven times, for seven days, and then the wall came down. Let me say this, I believe Joshua kept encircling the promise despite the opposition, The gates and walls didn't look any smaller every day. But he didn't stop at six. And I want to say, will you keep walking, sir, ma'am, even when it seems like it's not working? Will you keep encircling the promises of God? The promise of God, what God has spoken to you in the light. Will you not now doubt, doubt in the dark? Will you keep encircling the promises of your health? Will you keep walking and holding on the promises of your children, even though it seems like they've gone astray? Will you keep holding on to what God has spoken to you, the future of this nation? Will you keep encircling the promises of God? Because actually God says, keep walking. You'll see my hand of victory. Can we turn to the other neighbor, the one you ignored the first time, and tell them, don't stop on six. Come on, come on, reminding them, don't stop on six. Finally, we're going somewhere. Stick with me. The lid of revelation. We've got the lid of expectation, the lid of opposition that we think is there to disqualify. God says I'm there to promote you. The lid of revelation. And revelation, if you don't know what that means, is basically understanding, seeing God and seeing God for who He is and what He alone can do. Bizarre scripture. Ezekiel 43. Write it down. Go read it at home. We have this man, this prophet named Ezekiel, who gets instructions from God on how to build the temple, how to build God's house. And it's quite this interesting, if you read it, I promise you, if you read it, you're not going to go, God's going to speak dramatically through this text to me, but he does. The amazing thing is, you see in this text, it's just a whole bunch of measurements and says, this is how you must build the temple, this is how you must build the house. And you'll see this word that pops up often in the Old Testament about how they should measure, they use this word, a cubit. Now, the first time it appears was how God said to Noah, I want you to build the ark to these specifications. And he called the word cubit. They didn't have measuring tapes. They didn't have measuring devices. They had cubits. Now, this is huge for us to understand that a cubit to be measured in that society was six handbreadths of a man. Six handbreadths of a man. So if, you, if everybody gets their arm, this is how they measure it, your arm. Now, take from the take from where your arm breaks and take four fingers, your handbreadth, and put it there, one, and then put, see, just go one, two, three. Four, five, six. Every single human has six handbricks. Exclude that. You have to do it right now. Trust me. Huh? This is not. This is. This is a. I want you to believe me. Yeah. From the break of your arm to the tip of your the, your longest finger, will be six handbreadths. Exclude your thumb. Six handbreadths. Only for the weirdos of you will not have it, but that, that might be your own proportion problems. But we can deal with that later. But that is the general measurement. So much so, stick with me because the word cubit in Hebrew is translated Ama. A-M-M-A-H. And that word Amah basically means the mother of the arm. So they would say, uh, this is what I would just often think, they say this part of your arm, the cubit here, is the mother of the arm. The, the arm, the part of your arm that creates. This part is obviously the daddy of the arm. Anyway, that's just <laughs> the power. No, just that. Yeah, it's a joke. But they said, but, but man would use this, the cubits. So that's how they measure cubits there, the length of the arm, six handbreadths of a man. And so there's, there's a giants in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy, was told there was nine cubits high. So that's, they would measure the length of an arm, was six cubits. And they say, why? Because that's the strength of man. The mother, the creativity of man is able to build, to create, to do these amazing things. But it's an incredible understanding as you start to read in Ezekiel 43, something bizarre happens. God says to Ezekiel, when you build my temple... I want you to use it to these measurements. He says, use a cubit plus an extra hand breadth. Go read it. He says, I don't want just six handbreadths of man. I want a seventh hand involved. Quite profound. If you keep reading it, he says, this is the only time. He says, Noah's Ark, you build according to a cubit. This thing you build according to a cubit. My temple, my house, the things of God, you build with the seventh hand. Sixth hand and the seventh hand. This is so huge. Why? This is understanding, because this is the, in John 15, we're told, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. This is him saying, actually, yes, you can build with your arm, you can build with your strength, you can create with your own strength, you can do a lot with your strength, but if you want to do something significant and eternal, you need the seventh hand of God. You need my hand to be upon it. Now, this is so massive, because I think in this room, maybe you're sitting here, and you say, well, I've done everything I know how to build my business, but it just doesn't seem to have a breakthrough. I've done everything, I've done the courses, I've done the investing, it just seems to keep doing that. I believe God's saying it's my season for my seventh hand to come. Your hand has worked, will you ask for my seventh hand now? Maybe you, in your parenting, you've done what you think you can do, but the kids don't respond the way you can. You're teenagers, or you go, I don't know what to do, I want to tear my hair out, I don't know how to do this. I think maybe you've done all that you can do, it's time for His hand. Time to ask it: parenting, marriage, finances, emotions, all of them keep hitting a dead end, or maybe a better word is a lid, you keep going, I feel I can't get past this in my life, I can't get past this addiction, I've tried, I've done all the courses, I've done all the prayers, I don't know, you've done all that you can do, you need the seventh hand of God. Now this is huge, last little thing under this is there's a story in the Old Testament, a man named Elisha again, Elijah, Elijah now, sorry, the prophet before Elisha, and Elijah's in a, in a place where there was no rain. For many, for me, for many years, there was, a, there was this, this famine and this drought in the land, and he's been saying the rain has come God has come, but nothing, and he's getting to a place of fear, but as he starts to pray and say, God, bring the rain, for time's sake, the story is, he says to his servants, I want you now to run outside and tell me, do you see any clouds? And the scripture tells us the servant ran out. Came back, no clouds, sir. So Eli- Elijah said to him, Can you go again? So, a second time. No clouds, sir. So he said, Go again, third time. It's in the Bible. Still no clouds, sir. You sure you want to keep this going? So, yeah, go a fourth time. Or go goes the other window, you know, this time. Still no clouds, sir. Fifth time. Still no clouds. Six times, like, can I even just put my head out the window? Still no clouds. Time. Elijah said to him, "Go again." And on the seventh time, not the first time, not the second time, not the sixth time, but the seventh time, he goes out and get this. This what uh, the man servant comes back. He says, "Something's different, sir." He says, "What?" He says, "There's a small cloud on the horizon, the size of a man's hand." I believe God's hand started to move, but there'd be no rain. Where man had been calling out, God man had been saying, let us put things in place. God, the seventh hand." So I was saying, "C okay, now, my time. My time." And the famine, the drought was broken, on the seventh hand of God started to implement in this moment. I want to tell you, as a people, can we be a people who keep pursuing the presence of God? maybe you've been building your house or building your business, you've been building your marriage, you've been building your finances on what you can do, but actually come to a place where you say, actually, I need to pursue the presence of God for this. I need God's word. I need him to tell me what to do for my business, what to do for my kids. I need God's blessing. But you've maybe have said, actually, I've prayed that, but I'm settling now. Don't stop at one. Don't stop at two. Don't stop at six. Don't stop at six, sir, ma'am. Tell anyone. Don't stop at six. Very quickly. One more time. One, two, three. Don't stop at six. Come on. I just love the way, the, in the scriptures, the number six represents the number of man, and the sixth day God created man, it, 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 it illustrates man's abilities, where man gets, and the number, in we're not huge on numerology, I'm not looking for anything extra, this is just huge in the text, it actually, seven represents the number of God, God, God what only God can do, he intervenes where he can intervene, and what is so profound, is we have a Savior named Jesus Christ, who was mocked, beaten had nails in his hands and feet, a crown of thorns on his head, and hung on a cross to die. The expectations of his disciples hit their lid where they realized the one we put our hopes in is dying. The opposition was clear as they all scattered because they said, we can't deal with this any longer. And the revelation grew dark as his life was starting to take away from him. Not one was left as they all ran away in fear. But the amazing thing that with his breath running out, we start to see as we read the text, Jesus starts to speak. The first thing he says is on the screen. Number one, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Then he speaks again. Number two, he says, today to the, the thief on his, on his side, he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Then the third thing he says from the cross, he says to John and his, and his mum, he says, woman, behold your son, son, behold your mother. Then he cries out in a loud voice, number four, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then the fifth thing he says from the cross, is, he says, I thirst. Fulfilling prophecy from the Old Testament. Then the sixth thing he says is this, Father, into your hands I commit, commit or commend my spirit. Aren't you so glad we have a Savior who didn't stop at six? A Savior who didn't stop at six, who said that's it and died there. But we have a Savior who said seven final things on the cross, and the seventh thing that he spoke broke the back of the enemy forever. The seventh thing had the power. It was the seventh thing that they thought was his death, was with a little of expectation, opposition, revelation, we thought he's done, was actually the bursting of the lid for the church. When Jesus, the seventh thing he said was, it is finished. We have a Savior who declares from the cross seven things, but the seventh thing is the power that comes in. And I want to tell you today that we have a Savior who completed his work on earth so that our work can begin that the things that you think can never be defeated, the battles you think can never be won, the victories you can never think is too big for you, the rooms that you think, I'll never be able to fill them, that we'll never be able to see that person come to Christ. I'll never see my person repent. I'll never see my bank account full. I'll never see this ability. I'll never see this emotion. I'll never see this healing. I'll never see this victory. We have a Savior who says that I am faithful to complete what I began in you. He is faithful to complete what he began in you. Do not settle, sir, ma'am. I'm speaking to my own heart. Do not settle, Gabe Phillips. Do not settle for where you think you have reached your end. Don't stop at six. Keep encircling the the promises of God. Will you keep immersing yourself in the practices of God? Will you keep pursuing the presence of God? Because God says, actually, at that moment, you'll see my hand move. You'll see my hand move, not in your timing, but my timing. My timing is perfect. Trust me. Trust me. You will see his power and his hand of breakthrough because he is faithful. I want to say last time, don't stop at six. Can we stand to our feet, please? If I can ask Natalie up yeah, Thanks, Natalie. I have amazing courage this morning to maybe pray for myself first and pray for us as a people. I believe Jesus is saying this. It's time for the lids to be lifted. Where you have... Put the lid on your life. We had the words as Mish sang, come alive, dry bones. As we prayed in the prayer meeting, Warren had the word, Lazarus come forth, that dead dreams would come alive. Things that you were promises that you remember from, from young years ago, things that you said, I want to give myself to, you," but they've, you've settled. Good enough. I'm okay here. God saying, no, 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 I have more. Not in your emotions, not in your abilities, not in your strength of your arm, but my hand wants to move in your day. In your house, in your marriage, in your home, sir, ma'am. Not only in other people's homes, not only in other people's health, not only in their testimony, but my testimony, God wants to move with his hand. And I really believe that God wants to lift the lid. Can we close our eyes? If you're comfortable, lift your hands. Do you have to do it seven times? Just have to do it once. But Father, I prophesy to this room right now, God, would you lift the lid of expectation where hope has died where it actually feels, I've prayed that enough, but I just haven't seen breakthrough. I thank you, Father God, that lift the lid of expectation will explode off lives, would explode off lives. I thank you, Father God, where the settling has come. Would you lift the lid of opposition, where people say, uh, just it's too tough. The enemy is taking too much ground. I feel, I can't pray a prayer for my health again. I can't pray a prayer for my kids again. It's too sore. I can't go after it again. I just, I've prayed, but nothing happens. I, I just, the enemy seems to even come worse when I pray these things. I thank you, God, the lid of opposition will be lifted right now. And the thing that came to disqualify us will be the thing that promotes us. I thank you, Father, would you lift the lid of revelation, that we would see your hand. Father, I pray over every business owner here, where they feel they have no more strategies left, and they say, what do I need to do? I pray right now, the wisdom of God to come, the hand of God to move. They'll look outside, and they'll see the hand of God moving. They'll keep on trusting you, keep on trusting you. Even when we don't see it, you're working. I declare over every relationship, Father, every marriage, God, the lids would be lifted to trust you for what they're held dear to. I thank you, Father God, that you are moving. as we land this time I'm going to ask you to do something brave if you're in this room this morning and you're saying I need to take a step of faith I've become disappointed I've become disqualified I've sat down in my walk with Jesus I I have in a sense had the delays have robbed me of my joy have robbed me and I've stopped praying prayers and i have stopped I've buried dreams I've stopped praying bold prayers for my life my business my marriage and you're saying today I need a touch from heaven Today, I'm going to start immersing myself. Today, I'm going to start walking in this promises again. Today, I'm going to go and have a different measurement system for my life. I'm going to ask you to leave your seats and come to the front. I want a team to pray with you today. We mean business. So if you want to come, leave your seats and come to the front. We'll finish soon. But please come out of your seats. Come for prayer. Come to one of the guys up front. We're going to pray. Maybe you've prayed these prayers a hundred times and you've got disappointed. Come forward. If, if, as they come forward, can you just pray? Gather with guys. I believe God wants to do bring breakthrough in our lives. If you're a business owner, and you're trusting for business breakthrough, but you seem to hit the brick wall, come to the front. If your prayers seem like they haven't been answered and you've been praying and praying and praying and you lost hope, come to the front. We're going to... Let these guys pray, and if there's any more, please come. Don't rush off, but Father, I pray for us as a people. I thank you, Father God. I declare over every life your blessing, your favor, your joy, your providence, your victory, your healing, your life. Not because we have some sort of theology. We've got a Jesus theology that say, Jesus, you promised us. You say the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but the good shepherd comes to bring life and life to the full. I declare abundant life, Father God. And as, P, as hearts hear this, scholar, I pray, they would not stop. They would not strain, but they also would not settle. Lift the lids on our lives, Jesus. Lift the lids on this church. And as people being prayed for at the front, can we lift our hands one last time for this church? Father, I pray as a community of believers, we pray for this church. Life Changes Millington. I thank you, Father. Her best days are ahead of her. We prophesy over our church. Our church in this city, God, will have the lid lifted off it. The lid lifted off Milnerton. The lid lifted off her, Father, that we would see hundreds of people flock in here to find the life that Jesus promises alone. I thank you, Jesus, that you would bring breakthrough in this community. You will bring healing and life and victory. I thank you, Jesus, that you would use our gatherings to make your name great, to make your name famous. God, right now I pray, Father, for families who For far gone, for people who have been abandoned, for people whose faith has shipwrecked, that they would come home. I declare, Father God, would you fill this room with your life, your presence, and your glory. We thank you, Father God, that you're lifting the lid on this community like never before. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Do it in our lives and do it in our church. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.